Valley Hope. Um, if you were here last week, uh, you beat me. I was not. Um, I was speaking, uh, preaching at a family camp at Ridgecrest. I spoke uh, five times to a very, well, it's a much younger crowd than this one. No offense. Um, it's, uh, it's some of the most nerve-wracking speaking that I'm ever asked to do because the people are like three all the way up to grandparent age. And um, it was a great time. Get, got to preach the gospel to little kids uh, five or six times, and I'm really grateful. If you ever get the chance to go to family camp at Ridgecrest, you should do it. It's awesome. It was a great time. Our own Phil Berry. Where are you, Phil? Are you around here? No, not here. Not here. Great. <laughs> Phil has just recently been announced the emperor of Ridgecrest. Um, I think that's the official title of all Ridgecrest camps. He is now, he's actually like a, the executive director or something like that. It was a big deal. Um, so you can talk to him about that if, when he comes to church. I don't know. Um, and then uh, Wednesday, I got to fly to Colorado with some pastor friends of mine. Uh, Zach Washburn was here. Uh, he was one of them. We met in Colorado and just hiked uh, very slowly. Um, that thin air is no joke. Um, and, and eat together and pray for one another for a couple days. I got home early. No, no, I left very early in the morning, very early in the morning yesterday, and got home yesterday afternoon. Um, that was great. Um, but I'm glad to be back here with you. Um, turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Last time I said I would preach quickly, and then I didn't. And I'm telling you that in disclosure, not in promise. Um, hopefully I'll do better this time. While you're turning there, I do want to thank everybody who came to our new members class. We had a big class there today. Um, and if you missed it and want to come to part two, please feel free. It's all right that you missed the first part. Um, and please, if you're a member of your, our church that has a baby or a small child, especially that has not been baptized, please come talk to us. We'd love to do that with you. We believe in that. We support it. It's a ton of fun. So don't miss that opportunity coming next week. Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, that on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real and thought he was seeing a vision. When he passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. 
When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at that door of the gateway, a servant named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. The people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that our ears would be open We pray that our hearts would be open. God, we pray that you would form us into the kind of people that pursue you and your life above all other things. Make us hungry for the things of God. We pray that that would happen in all of us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are three men here presenting two different ways to live your life, and it's important to pay attention to this series of men and what they are telling us in the way that they die and the way that they live. Peter and James are fundamentally telling you the same thing, that their stories end differently. And it's important to see the difference in the way their story comes to its conclusion in Acts chapter 12 so that you and I have clarity when we wrestle with the same things in our own life. James followed Jesus faithfully. And he was beheaded. Peter followed Jesus faithfully. And God rescued him from prison. And there was nothing wrong with James. And there was nothing better with Peter. It was just what God did in their own stories. According to his own particular will. And we have a problem with that. We instinctively and intuitively believe that when we follow Jesus, things will go well for us when we do well. And you and I might say, I do not believe that. That is the thing that TV preachers preach and people believe them because they want the magic blessed handkerchiefs to give them what they want. But I'm not one of those people. Those are the hucksters and the people that fall for them. But that is not true. You and I instinctively and emotionally believe when bad things happen to me, it must be because I have done something wrong to deserve it. And when things 
go well for me without even paying attention, we unintentionally assume, I deserve this. And of course this is what's happened to me because I'm doing a good job. And that's why we feel aggrieved when things go badly for us because we say, what have I done to deserve this? Because we have connected two things that do not always go together. Now, what's confusing is sometimes they do. When you do wrong, bad things often do happen. That's part of the natural consequences of life. When you do bad things, oftentimes bad things follow. But we cannot look at the circumstances of our life and read backwards and assume the motivations and purity of our own hearts and especially not about what's going on with anybody else. That is essentially the whole point of the book of Job. That Job's friends sat with him, watched his suffering, and said, you must have done something wrong to deserve this. And we, as the readers of the book of Job, have already been told at the beginning that is, in fact, not what is happening. But we are just like the people who believe those sleazy hucksters on TV. So many people believe that prosperity gospel kind of nonsense because we all instinctively want to. It is in our nature to believe that God would trade with us. And Acts chapter 12 is going to tell you something entirely different. James is a leader in the church of Jerusalem, and he dies. Peter is a leader in the church of Jerusalem, and he lives, at least for a little while. Because here's the thing. You are going to die. It's going to come for you, and it's going to come for me. Death is 100%. Death is coming for you maybe a long time from now. And maybe it's coming unexpectedly. But you are going to die. The question that Acts chapter 12 is going to pose to you is who will you live for and how will you meet your end? And Peter in James' story shows us though the outcomes are different, they are on the same path. The path of following Jesus. And the path of following Jesus demands of them something and promises them something that makes them willing and ready to put their neck on the chopping block one after another. And the question that you have to face is, is Jesus worth that to me? Now, let me be very clear I've been clear before, I grew up in a kind of evangelicalism that had a kind of unhealthy obsession with martyr stories. Now, martyr stories are important in the history of Christianity, but I heard them, and I was taught almost to, like, seek it out one way or another, even in fantasy only. That is the only way to be truly faithful. And let's just be crystal clear here. I would say 100% of the people in here are not going to be martyred. Statistically, in all probability, you are not going to die for Jesus' name. However, 
you are not then called to a kind of secondary Christianity, but to a kind of willingness to die in every single moment of your very ordinary life. If you are a mother, and you are mothering in the name of Jesus, you have experienced a kind of little martyrdom a thousand and one times every single day. Can I get an amen? amen? You know that is true. Some part of you is dying when your kid is asking for yet another snack 15 minutes after they said, I am too full to finish this lunch that I made for you. You and I are invited to make central the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ that lays claim to every single moment that you will live with him so that martyrdom is an unsurprising playing out that is only dictated by circumstances and not the person. We are meant to live a kind of life before and with Jesus that says, I will go wherever you take me, be it 6,000 miles from here into a prison in another country in a language that I cannot speak, or be it next door to my neighbor to share with them another cup of flour in the kindness of God in the name of Jesus. You, I cannot tell you what the outcome of your story will be. You're probably not going to end up like James. You may end up like Peter. You may end up like a thousand other unnamed saints. What will you live for as you move your way to certain death? Herod proposes the other available option to you. And these are really the only kinds of options that you get. You can either die consumed by love for Jesus, or you can die consumed by the inside out, by your own godhood. There is no third way. Herod's story feels unique because of the circumstances in which it happens, but Herod is not that different from thousands and millions of other people who have died before and who are dying at this very moment. Herod hears the acclaim of the people and does not say, I am not God, but instead drinks it in. And the angel of the Lord comes and brings him judgment. This is a story that's actually attested by Josephus, a non-Christian historian who says that this Herod died after this event, five days later, with intestinal worms. He's died from the inside, he dies from the inside out. Now, a lot of times, almost certainly, you will not die eaten by worms from the inside out. Thank, thank God. That's a horrible way to die. But the things that will kill you and are killing you will readily work their way into you and flow from the inside of you. On the flight back from Colorado yesterday, I was watching this movie, uh, The Way Back, 
It's a Ben Affleck movie. It came out sometime last year or something like that. It seems like a sports movie, which is how they got me. It's essentially not a sports movie, FYI. He's an he's a old, uh, retired, well, not retired. He's, he's out of high school. He goes back to his high school to coach. And he's clearly, you know he has problems. You can see he has a drinking problem from the first scene of the movie. And pretty quickly you find out he's divorced or about to be divorced. And he, you know, this is sort of stereotypical sports movie. He gives himself to the team. Work hard, you know, be tougher, blah, blah, blah. They succeed to some degree. And then everything falls apart. And he's back drinking again. And what you find out is he is consumed by the grief of losing his son, who is eight years old. And the sight of his son's death can never leave his mind. And so he is dragged back to the bar to try to numb away the pain and the terror of his life. That is what it looks like to be eaten from the inside out. He does not have worms in his guts. It's the demons of grief and anger and isolation. And that's something that happened to him, which happens in a world that's fractured and broken and full of sin, where horrible things happen to apparently good people. That happens to you all the time. The worms will find their way into your guts, and they will flow out of your heart. There are almost certainly, within the hearing of my voice, people who are living in secret sin and shame. There are people probably in here who are bound by pornography and who are weighted down by the secret shame of all kinds of sin. And when you hear my voice saying that you can be eaten from the inside out, you are saying, I know it to be true. And it will happen to you. You will die the way that Herod dies. Or you can die the way that James dies. But those are your only options. Nothing will deliver you except Jesus. Nothing will deliver you except Jesus. If you are bound by the sorrow of this world, you will not be freed and delivered by the strong face that you present to the world. It does not matter how many people think that you are tough or that you have it all together or how many people respect you or how much comfort you find in friendship or in love from others. Those things will never ever free you. It does not matter how many people think you are ethical and upright and generous and strong and good. The sin that you are harboring in your heart is not seeking to make a treaty with you. It is coming to kill you. And it will do it a hundred out of a hundred times unless Jesus comes 
and frees you. Your only hope and mine is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can carry you to the brink of your own death and say, not even here will I leave you. Jesus is the only one who sees all of the shame that you are hiding, all of the sin that you are complicit in, all of the secret sorrow that is weighing down your back. He sees every bit of it, is not fooled by any of your facade, and says, I and I alone can heal you from the guts out. And what you and I must do whether we are Herod or whether we are James and Peter, is to say Jesus is the answer. If you are a Christian today and you know my faith, my trust is in Jesus, I know that he's the one who rescues me. I know the one, he's the one that I have to trust. If you already know that, then the question is, is Jesus actually the one who holds all of the worth of my entire life? Or have I arranged the comfort of my circumstances, my friendships, my vocation, my free time? Have I actually just set that aside as an argument against what I say with my mouth? And if that's the case, then you're called to repentance. And that's all of us all the time. I live my life with my family and with you saying one thing with my mouth and then doing everything else to make me the voice of a God. And I have to constantly repent to my wife, to my family, and to you when I fall short. And in that moment, Jesus is sufficient and he will carry me to the end of the death of me. And if you are here today and you are loaded down with your own wounding, your own sorrow, and your own sin, and you have never trusted in Jesus, I'm just going to tell you your future. You're going to die, and you're going to die consumed by those things. And that is not what God wants for you. Jesus took up the name man of sorrows, afflicted by grief for you. Jesus sees what feels like disgusting, gross, and shameful people, puts his hands on them and says, I will make you clean and I will bring you into my household. The freedom that you long for is never going to come by you being good enough. It is only by you throwing your hands open and saying, I cannot do this. I am not a God. He is the only one. And today, the answer for you is the same. It is repentant. This is the community of the repentant, of the exposed, the enlivened, and the rescued. You can live this way in a way that lives, that consumes your whole life from start to finish. Or you can die like Herod, alone and consumed. And Jesus wants to move you into life. Today, Jesus is before you. Come and receive his life. And he has enough for you 
and all of your sin and your shame and your sorrow. And he has enough for you forever. So that not even death itself will have the final word over your story. But it is his own resurrection that will surely triumph over your story and mine till death itself is dead. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would make us to be a people whose lives are in your grip, who would trust you with facing imprisonment, who would who trust you with facing physical death itself. And God, we pray that we would so clearly see your worth, that we would say you can have every moment of every aspect and inch of my life. I'll give you everything in the mundane, ordinary nature of my life or to the place where I might die for you. Let us be a people who see your worth, that we could say that. And Father, I pray for people who are here this morning who are bound up in their, in their wounds and in their sin and who have never trusted in you, who have never said only Jesus can rescue me, only Jesus can sweep me up. God, I pray that this morning it would be the end of that. that they would recognize they cannot be their own God. Instead, the voice of God only comes from the lips of Jesus, the Son of God. Father, I pray that you would do that by your Holy Spirit. I just want to pause here. And I want you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And not skate past. you are a parent here, you hear the voice of your children outside. You have a bodily reaction. Your heart jumps at the sound of your children's voice. I want every single person in here to understand the heart of the Father leaps to hear your voice. whether you are screaming to him in pain and in shame, whether you're greeting him with joy, your voice provokes his response. Father, I pray that we would be so bold to reach for our Father. Because of Jesus, we can be assured that waiting for us in your arms is mercy. Let our hearts be captured by you and the beauty of your name so that you might be made famous. Amen.